as we're looking at 1 Samuel 22, just to give us a little bit of context on to where, in where we are in the book of 1 Samuel and really in the history of God's people, we are focused now, we have shifted now to the person of David. And so, so far in this book, we have gone from the person of Hannah, who's the mother of Samuel, to the person of Samuel, and then to the person of Saul. And now we have gotten into the life of David. And at this point in the story, David has been anointed by Samuel as king, though David and Samuel are the only two that know this. And the reason that that is important is because not even Saul understands this anointing. Uh, The people of Israel don't understand this anointing. Uh, Only David and Samuel know what's going on here. And so as David has risen into this state of being a hero and being uh, the commander of the army and the one who has defeated the giant and the Philistines, he is now on the run. And what we saw last week is that as, as Saul sent people to surround David's house, uh, David's wife, who is actually the daughter of Saul, uh, um, helped David escape. And David is now on the run. And so that's where we will pick up from there as David is fleeing uh, the wrath of Saul and searching for where God is going to take him. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Please follow along with me, starting in verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gabeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him? 
so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king, and who among all and he said, And who among all your servants is so, so faithful as David? And who is the king's son in law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep. He put them to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and he fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. This is the word of the Lord. Here's how I hope that we will be able together to make sense of this and bring this all together. To look and see that because the kingdom of Christ, and though the kingdom of Christ is not specifically in word mentioned here, We will still see through this chapter that because the kingdom of Christ is not of this world, we must seek a different kind of shelter. And so we'll look at this in three ways. First, we'll look at the shelter that we seek. Then we'll look at the danger that we face. And then the person that we need. And so as we're considering the shelter that we all seek, we do this in so many different ways. Now, if we are just seeking a roof, we may just be seeking shelter from the rain that's coming down from above. If we are looking for walls and doors and windows to go along with that roof, then we are looking for shelter from elements and things from the outside, hoping that they will not get in. But even more than just physical structures, we seek shelter. We do that by seeking shelter in communities, Communities that would give us good neighborhoods and uh, good neighborhoods with different people that would then shelter us from those that could harm or upset us. Some communities in homes even do this to the point of putting a gate in front of their home or in front of their community, assuring to its residents of that kind of shelter that would keep the wrong people out. We shelter ourselves by placing ourselves in communities with good school systems, hoping that we'd be sheltered from the bad school systems. Some of us would even choose to shelter ourselves and our children from school systems altogether. We seek shelter in our churches, don't we? 
hoping that we would get some kind of spiritual shelter, some form of protection from the world that is around us. We seek shelter in ideologies. We do it in the form of laws. And we all really identify with this type of shelter-seeking in some form, and we do it from one degree or another. And what we see in this chapter, what we find here throughout the whole of chapter 22 is that we find three groups. We find three groups of people. Early on, we see the group of people that are in distress, they're in debt, they're bitter in soul is what the text says. And this included David's family, and so they were seeking a new shelter. They were running from where they were. They felt like they were in danger, and so they were looking for a new home, a new place. And therefore, they went to meet David at the cave of Adullam. And then we see another group. We see the group of people that have aligned themselves with Saul. And these are the people that have been promised and have even been given land, vineyards. They've been given titles of honor. They've been given authority over people. Things that they have longed for. And so they sought shelter in the power and the structure uh, the power system of the day. And then we see the priests. This other group of people is the priestly city of Nob. They are represented by, represented by Ahimelech, and he's a man of honor. One we even see here that helped David. And if you were to read chapter 21, you would see that David went to Ahimelech. He gave him bread, holy bread even. He gave him a sword, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. He was one who helped David. And he was one who we read about here that boldly stood up to Saul, stood up for David in front of the king. This people of priests, this group of families that resides, that have resided in this city, these are families, these are priests that have performed spiritual duties. They reside, resided in a place of safety. And they have remained there probably counting on it as the safest place of all. So what we have, three groups. You have a group here of people that need something different. They want something different. They need to flee or they desire to flee because they are unsafe or unhappy. And then you have those that have sought shelter in a system that they believe offers power, control, security, most likely at the expense of integrity or values here. And then you have those that feel safe. And so they seek to keep and to hold on to what they have in this priestly city of Nob. Believing that this city offers all that they need. And so I would just ask, as we look at these three groups, where do you fall? Can you identify with one of these today? Do you feel the need to escape? Do you feel the need to flee something? To start somewhere new? Are you at a place where you feel like you need to align yourself with something that's working? Or are you trying to do that? Are you at a place where you see a system that's working and you want to be a part of that? Are people that are doing the right things and are getting the right things and and they're promising the right things? And so you're seeking to align yourself with a system or a group of people that are doing that. Are you at a safe place? Are you at a place where you have comfort and control and security? Are you at a place that seems like it's protected? 
A place that you would never leave. And not only never leave, but you would fight to cling on to. A place that you want for your future and maybe even generations after you. Now this is all to say that we are all seeking shelter. And we're all seeking shelter in a way in which we're, some of us are scrambling. And some of us are panicking. Some of us are constantly thinking about what's next. And what can we do to get a better shelter, to get better care, to be cared for better, to have better care for our families, our things? What's our next step? What's our future behold? Who do I need to align myself with? Or what do I need to do to protect my fortress? Now, let's be honest and be realistic. And let me be understanding, as we all consider the shelter that we seek, we should understand that we do fall in one of these categories. Sometimes seasons of life will take us from one category to another. But to also understand that it's not all bad. That sometimes we need to make a change. Sometimes there, are, some of you may need a fresh start. Some of you are here because you needed a fresh start. Some of you needed to get away from something very dangerous, harmful, or that was going to lead to despair. And so you came here, or you ended up in the situation that you're in. You were led by God to leave. And that is to say that that is not all bad. Sometimes it is very wise to consider what is happening around us. Sometimes it's wise to see what others are doing, to notice that something is working, and then get on board. Sometimes it's wise to see that another company or another school is the right way to go. And you should move in that direction if you feel God is leading you for a better fit or for something better for your family. And it's also a good thing to be a good steward of the gifts that God has given you, of the ability to provide a home. It's good to be thankful for a good lot in life. And by all means, it's good to take care of what God's given you to conserve it, to do that for your future and also for future generations. So those are good. And we shouldn't deny that, that there are good intentions in all three of these categories. There can be. And yet it's so important to understand that no matter where you are, and we'll see this as we move on, nothing is certain. Nothing is certain. And we are never wise if we think that plans, places, or people are foolproof. It's never wise to think that the next step has all that we need. And a great problem that we have is that we live or we hope or we desire that somehow we are going to unlock the door that allows us to find in this world the ability to gain and or hold on to the shelter that we need. But really what we need to know and what we see in this passage is that no matter where we are, we face danger. And so we're going to look at that through these three groups, the danger that we face. And so as we see in this chapter, with the group that flees and seeks refuge with David, what they did was they simply go on the run, and they're going with David. So they're meeting up with him, and they realize that he's at a cave. So this would communicate that he is not stable here. This would communicate that he has not built a fortress here. He is living in a cave, and so they go there. 
In fact, what we see is that David is so unsure about what is going on in his life right now, and he is so unsure about what the next step will bring that he takes his parents who flee to come and be protected by him, he takes them to a foreign land, to Moab. He puts them in the, hand, in the hands of a foreigner. If you'll remember, it's where David's great-grandmother, Ruth, came from. And so he takes his mother and his father to this foreign land because of the danger that he knew was ahead of him and the danger that he knew everyone that, with, that was with him was going to be exposed to. Think back to the time of Exodus in Scripture when the Israelites are fleeing slavery, fleeing the Egyptians. In this new place, in this new life, as they leave this life of slavery, this new life leads to so much danger and fear and sadness as they're wandering through the wilderness. They go hungry. They doubt God to the point where many vocally express their desire and their wishes. As we look in awe, really, when we read things like this, but they're vocally expressing to their leaders they want to be back in Egypt. They want to be back in slavery because they have come into this place and they're afraid. They're without and they're in despair. And therefore, as we look at this first group, there could be great reason to leave or make a change or desire a better and great shelter. And I would say that David's family and all these people that were in distress and that were in debt and were bitter in soul, it was right for them to get out. And the Scripture would point to that. But we need to see that as David's family and his followers, and just as the Israelites in the wilderness, as they figured out, as they figured this out, they understood that danger and distress was waiting on them no matter where they turned and no matter what was new. And they realized that there is no perfect shelter here. And then they realized, and it's not perfect over there either. The shelter, the perfect shelter is also not on the other side. Now as we read through the chapter... We also see this second group. What it looked like for those that have aligned with Saul. Now, the author wants to be very honest and say they, were, they have gotten land. Just as Saul had promised many of them, they had gotten land and vineyards. Many of them had been made commanders. Some even over thousands of people. And so there's authority there. There's honor. But they have gotten involved in something that they were never expecting to happen. Now, they were willing to serve an evil king. They were willing to serve a selfish king. They were willing to make some compromises in their own life in order to make a better life for themselves and for their family. They were willing to go to this point to align themselves with this system to secure their futures. But they were not prepared for what was coming. Because look at where this led them. Look and see. This is in verse 16. This is when the when Saul calls the priest, Ahimelech, he summons him into his presence and he wants to speak with him and he questions him about his assistance to David, how he gave him bread and a sword. And what this leads to, it leads us to see, and we're not to overlook this, we're not to overlook the rage inside of Saul here. We're not to overlook the evil that is welling up inside of this king as he questions Ahimelech. Now look at verse 16 here in chapter 22. And the king said, Saul, he says to Ahimelech, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. 
Now look here. So he's saying you're going to die for what you've done. This is rage. He's saying you're the priest of the land. You're God's chosen for the priesthood. You're going to die. Now look at verse 17, what he says. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, what we're to see here, these are the people that aligned with Saul. This is the group that said, this is the system I need to be in. This is what leads to land and vineyards, authority, status. This is where I need to be. Saul turns and looks at these people that have aligned with him. And he says, turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. Here's how these people have responded. Continue in verse 17. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. They never, never imagined that they were aligning themselves with one who would seek to destroy a priestly city and the families that lived there. And they realized that after seeking this shelter of prominence and security, that they were in the most dangerous place that they could ever be in. They were serving a king who was willing to wipe out a city of innocence, a city that did not have blood on their hands. And this is a king that was ordered by God himself to wipe out evil in the land, and he spared evil. But here he is demanding that no be wiped out, all that is there. And they realized they were in the most dangerous place that they could imagine. And this was such an evil and such an unheard of act that Saul, please notice what Saul had to do when his guard refused. He had to get Doeg, the Edomite. And do you understand what that's saying? He had to go after a descendant of Esau someone who was born into a family to hate Israel, someone who was born into a family to despise the sons of Jacob. And the text wants us to see that the Edomite was glad to carry out this order. So what did Saul do? Saul, in a sense, goes back in time to wipe out God's favor on Jacob. And he says, I'll gladly take out this priestly city. And it took a foreigner. It took a conspirator. It took this descendant of evil. Most likely, his greatest desire, the reason that he aligned himself with Saul in the first place, was to be able to carry out an act such as this, to slay the people of God. Now this leads us and brings us to this third group of people. And this brings us to the priests and the families that live in this city. And this is horrible to read about. And if you have not gotten into this story, if you have not been able to get a picture of what's happening here, then you're not seeing this as, the big, as big of a deal as it is. But if you let yourself get here, you would see that a whole city, a city of men, women, children, animals, they're all destroyed. And it's done in cold blood. And it's done not at the hand of the Philistines. Not at the hand of the Amorites. This is done at the hand of their king. At the hand of the one who is supposed to protect them. To give them the peace to carry out their priestly functions. These are God's people. And this is a terrible scene in Scripture. And something like this should never happen. In fact, this should be the safest place on earth. 
the priestly city of Nob. If it had a website, it would call itself the world's safest city. The city that has the most wholesome values. People came to live there because they would live amongst these holy men. There is no crime. Families were raised there because of the influence of this society and these people. And this all happened, not because Ahimelech made a mistake, but because he served and helped and cared for God's anointed, David. Now you may say, why would God let this happen? But the answer is simply this. This is the world in which we live. The world in which we sometimes refuse to admit we live in. And this is the dreadful effects of living in a world that has rebelled against God. And we may believe that the fortresses that we've built or the area that we live in offer the safety or promises that we want and need and count on. But the truth is, whether we are running to something better aligning ourselves with something more powerful, or think we have created everything that we need, we all face the danger of a fallen world. Now, aren't you glad? Now, you may be wishing I was ending because of time, but aren't you glad that I'm not ending my sermon on that note? And then aren't you glad that the Bible did not stop at Genesis 3? Or 1 Samuel 22, verse 19. It did not stop with the city of Nob being annihilated. And the people dying at the hands of evil. It could have stopped there. But it didn't. And it doesn't. Because the Bible tells us of a different kind of shelter. And it tells us about a person. And and this person is foreshadowed at the end of this chapter. If you see in chapter 22, the very end, as this priest, the son of Ahimelech, as he escapes and flees to David, this is telling us about a person that we need. And Abiathar, one of the sons, one of his sons, as he runs to David, David realizes the dreadfulness of what really he set off. He could have never predicted, but of what he set off. And then he tells Abiathar that he'll be safe. But he does it in a way that is so different than what we would say or that we, what we would long to hear in that Circumstance, And look at verse 23 of this chapter where David tells him, this frightened, panicked priest, everyone that he knows that he's grown up with, that has cared for him, has been murdered. David says this, stay with me. Do not be afraid. Now that's good so far. But then this is what David says. He says, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. Now, he doesn't say you're safe here because I'm a friend of Saul. He doesn't say you're safe here because I have connections. He doesn't say you're safe here because I've built this mighty fortress. He doesn't do any of those things. He just says, he who seeks my life seeks yours. So in other words, he's saying, look, Abiathar, they probably did not even know that you were gone. You could have fled to a foreign land and never been found. But he who seeks my life seeks your life. So in other words, don't be afraid. Come be with me. But understand this. They're coming after me. And when they find you, you will be in danger. It's not how we would want. It is not the answer that we would want to hear as we seek refuge. But David wants him to see 
that because his enemy is David's enemy, get this, the enemy of Abiathar is the enemy of David. And this means something more. Because David is saying, this means that my God is your God. That the God who redeems is the one who is caring for me and guiding my steps. So here's what Abiathar needed to see. His life, in reality and in the world's eyes, was in even more danger. (laughs) He was in even more trouble by fleeing to David and remaining with him. Someone that had the sense of this world would have said, David, nice to see you, but I'm heading to Moab, or I'm heading to the next neighboring nation. But what Abiathar is seeing, and we know this from the rest of 1 Samuel, and even in the Second Samuel, as he stays there, is that he understands that when he's with David, God's anointed one, he remains in the shadow of the wings of God. He knows that there is salvation in this person, in God's anointed. Now, here's one thing that I've figured out about my children. And this can be an exhausting thing most nights. But I have figured out that they would rather lie on the ground in a jungle with me than be in the safest place on earth without me. And there will be a time when I pray that they will come to realize that I'm not their ultimate shelter. But they have seen that shelter comes in the form of a person. And I pray that this will lead them to seeing a greater person, that they will seek shelter in the person, the only one that can alter, offer true shelter, and that person being Jesus. And this is what this text is pointing us to, is it is showing David as the anointed one here. It is pointing us to a greater person, a greater hope. May we long for that to point to a greater shelter, a greater person. And so as we scramble to seek this, May we understand and then really let it dig into our hearts and embrace it that there is not a corner of the globe, there's not a corner in town that offers us the right kind of shelter and to know that it doesn't exist in this world. That wherever we flee or whether we've built this mighty fortress, it doesn't exist. But there's a person There's a person, not a system, not not these principles. There is a person that this story is pointing us towards. It's a person that the whole Old Testament is just, as we read it, the Old Testament begins to do this and this and this until it is about to burst into the New Testament as it introduces us to Christ. Because He is our shelter. And as we unite to Him, as we come into Him, and as He says, my kingdom is not of this world, and as He says, my kingdom is not for the wealthy, it's not for the prominent. In fact, it's for the brokenhearted, the downtrodden. It's for the ones who weep and grieve. And as we unite to Him, He calls us to surrender, to sacrifice the shelters of this world. He calls us to give up. He calls us to live in the midst, not of the things that we try to protect ourselves with, 
But instead, he calls us to live in the midst of our enemies. And that's different for different people, but he calls us to live in the midst of them. And then he even calls us to die. He even calls us to die. But in him, we will be in the shadow of God's wings. So I'll close with this in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. This is looking at verse 16. And as the author of Hebrews is presenting to us a people of faith, a people that we are to model after, not because they did everything perfectly, but because they believed in the Redeemer and the redemptive hope that is to come. The author of Hebrews wants us to see that as God even called some of them to a land on earth, ultimately they did not seek that land. Many of them never even made it to that land. And it's because really they didn't even long for that land. And this is what Hebrews 11 says. 11.16 But as it is, they desire a better country. And this is not talking about the land of Canaan. Because it goes on to say that is a heavenly one, a heavenly country. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And therefore, in Christ, what's being prepared for us is a shelter, an eternal shelter. One where we never will have to fear, never have to be afraid, because we know we will be in the presence and we will be in the shadow of the Anointed One, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that in all of your scrambling or in all of your clinging, you will find shelter. Not in a place, not in a structure, but in a person.